coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. I certainly hope you had a chance to leave the office or leave the home office or leave the house today to get out and enjoy what has been a really gorgeous day. Of course, he's fall on a week, a Tuesday for crying out loud, but uh, I had to go down to the Fulton County Government Building. Okay, it turns out I didn't have to. I just did because I thought that's where I had to go to get my car tag renewed. Side note, you have to do that on or before your birthday. And I don't know why I didn't know that. I just I always know when it's due, so I just I go and I get it done. Uh, my birthday transpired like uh, two weeks ago, and my tag uh, my tag was <clears throat> not renewed. Whoops! I expect to get something in the mail that tells me it's coming due, like the property tax guy does, right? Uh, or or person. I I don't think I got that letter. Nonetheless, I noticed it on my car. It's like, why does that still say Feb? And um, I even had one of those scary little uh, pearl clutchy moments last weekend when uh, I'm coming down 400, heading back towards downtown, and uh, an unmarked patrol car gets behind me with the lights on, and I'm like, oh no, did they spot the tag? But they were actually going somewhere else, going after someone more important, thankfully, and uh, I you know avoided a ticket. So I went down to the county government building downtown today near uh, underground Atlanta and I'm walking around. It's just a beautiful day. I'm enjoying myself. I even walked around the state capitol a little bit and there was uh, a a small fleet of EVs in front of the uh, state capitol. And I talked to a nice guy named Angel uh, who works for uh, the Georgia Railroad and owns a Rivian truck. And he showed me the thing. I mean, it's it's nice. It's 8,000 pounds. I mean, that's that's a pretty heavy truck. But uh, the, the batteries are pretty heavy. Um, nonetheless, it's a gorgeous day. And yes, I do have my uh, <laughs> I do have my tag update. It was like 25 bucks. What was I sweating? I was really worried about spending a ton of money on a new tag or a fine or something like that. But uh, uh, anyway, I got to enjoy a little bit of the outdoors today. Hopefully you did as well. I got a little sun on this head of mine. So uh, we'll see how uh, how that tans if it does. All right, so we got a lot to get to today. Uh, let's start with some of the smaller things. Uh, you know, a story we've been following out of uh, Cobb County uh, has to do with the uh, county commission map. I'm still blown away that this is handled at the state legislature and not at the county level. In, in any event, the state legislature uh, redrew Cobb County and any county that needed to uh, commission maps and basically drew a sitting commissioner who still had time, still has time on uh, her uh, term, drew her out of her own commission district. And so in Cobb County government, there is a 3-2 Democratic Party majority. It's a blue county now. It has been since 2016 at the minimum, right? Uh, Anyway, Republicans there don't want to recognize her right to sit on the board and vote on matters. And so there's been this standoff, and now it's headed to court. There's like a private citizen and one of the Cobb Republican commissioners uh, on on the suit as well. Uh, and the state house decided the, the general assembly decided they didn't want to didn't want to deal with it. So there was a bill in the Senate that had been filed. Um, in fact, it was a Senate bills one twenty four and two thirty six. 
uh, did not even go up for a vote and uh, weren't going to be passed uh, this session. Um, they can, of course, show up as amendments in other bills, but uh, let's see, SB 124 uh, was going to restate constitutional limitations that counties do not have the power to amend their own maps under the home rule provision of the state constitution. And that home rule provision is what the Democrats, the 3-2 majority on the Cobb Commission, uh, opted to use to say, no, we're, we're going to go with the map we have. Um, Cobb County did that last October, sort of a rebuke of uh, the Republican lawmakers who passed the map that drew that commissioner, Jerrica Richardson, by the way, who we've had on the show, out of her district, <laughs> like only midway through her term. Uh, as the AJC reports today, home rule does not or does give counties the power to change local laws, but it does not explicitly include redistricting. Uh, county officials have said a judge will need to interpret whether the Constitution allows home rule powers to be used for drawing district lines. So anyway, uh, the Senate decided to uh, punt on that, uh, opting instead to let the courts handle it. There was another bill, SB 236, which would have reinstated Cobb's electoral map as passed by the state last year. Anyway, um, both were... Both bills were sort of working in tandem to void the commission's power, and uh, the state Senate opted again to just not touch it, let the courts handle it. So we'll be watching uh, as, I guess, that bears out in the courts. There was another, and by the way, I'm not getting to the big stuff just yet. I understand that when you eye roll, uh, I, I hear you. I know not everybody's tuning in to hear about Cobb County's redistricting or what I call the final destination bill. This is the one <laughs> that uh, passed out of the house um, that is going to allow some of the uh, larger trucks to carry heavier payloads on uh, state highways. So whereas now state law limits commercial vehicles to 80,000 pounds of transport goods, there had been a 5% variance for trucks carrying like uh, agricultural and natural resources, you know, like logging trucks. So logging trucks could carry you know, about 84,000 pounds as opposed to the state limit of 80,000 pounds. Uh, House Bill 189 uh, is going to expand that to uh, 88,000 pounds. They're going to make that variance 10%. To give you an idea how much weight that is, I was just talking to you about the Rivian pickup truck that I saw uh, <laughs> in front of the state capitol today. It'd be like a Rivian truck. A four-door truck falling off the back of a truck and having that final destination scene that you see with the uh, the log. Remember that movie with the uh, the logging truck? I mean, that still haunts me to this day. Uh, anyway, uh, there were those who were proponents of this bill said that allowing the trucks to carry your heavier payloads are going to let businesses deliver their goods more efficiently and compete more effectively with uh, their competitors in neighboring states that already allow heavier trucks. And then there are those who are against it who say that the heavier trucks are going to make Georgia highways more dangerous and take a greater toll on roads, costing taxpayers billions of dollars more for maintenance. And by the way, this is not one of those left-right sort of things. In fact, one of the opponents of the increase in payload, Republican Darlene Taylor, she said this bill is destructive for roads, but especially for county roads and bridges. These communities do not have the resources to maintain or continue to fix road abuse. Road abuse, I like that term. By the way, if you've ever been on a state highway, a two-lane or a four-lane state highway, and you get angry because you're behind like a convoy of trucks that are glutting up these roads, these state highways that 
go into cities and through busy areas of the cities. One reason why you'll see more traffic on those roads now is because, did you know this? Federal law limits trucks to 80,000 pounds on interstate highways. Uh Uh-huh. So now we're going to be increasing traffic on state and local highways with this increase in variance. Naturally, the Georgia Department of Transportation is against this. They say that these heavier trucks are going to create greater wear and tear on roads and also pointed out, now here's some more Final Destination stuff here, 1,200 state bridges could not safely support trucks carrying 88,000 pounds and would have to be restricted. Ugh. Let's see. We know that uh, the Buckhead City stuff flamed out earlier this week. The push for sports betting in the state of Georgia didn't make the cut again this year. Uh, We're falling behind neighboring states like North Carolina, by the way, on that measure. Oh, well, here was one good one. Uh, State Representative Esther Panich was able to get her measure passed that uh, put some teeth to anti-Semitic crime penalties. Panich is the only Jewish member in the Georgia General Assembly. She and some neighbors in the uh, Sandy Springs area, I think it was last month, uh, got some anti-Semitic mailers and literature put on lawns and things like that. It was uh, was pretty nasty. So uh, she pushed with some GOP support, by the way, for some sturdier penalties for anti-Semitic crimes. Good for her. And by the way, that, again, not a blue-right sort of thing. She had a good bit of Republican support, and she actually had some pushback from those on the left who thought that uh, the measure didn't go far enough to include other marginalized groups. Speaking of the marginalized, the trans community suffering a blow when the Georgia Senate passed measures that social conservatives were pushing that uh, will ban doctors and hospitals from offering hormonal or surgical treatment to transgender youth seeking gender-affirming care. We're going to talk with State Senator Sally Harrow later in the show from the 40th Senate District. She's not just uh, a senator advocating for trans youth. She's also the mother of a trans child. And our conversation, really, Frank, I want you to listen to that uh, as you hear, not just someone who is advocating for trans youth, but also a mother who's going through the very real ups and downs, the emotions of being the mother of a child who is trans and navigating through all that. A mother and a family and child who really don't need the outside noise and vitriol of bigotry shielded in political posturing. The extension of the school voucher program also made it through crossover day. That'll also be in uh, Georgia House Hands. We'll talk a little bit more about that. We'll review some conversations we've had with uh, those who are opposed to that for logical reasons, by the way. Um, And I got to say this, while I was downtown today, uh, I, something was up. I knew something was up because as I was walking around the Georgia State Capitol and heading back to my car, uh, I noticed that there was a police helicopter just hovering, hovering over a block near the state capitol. It turns out that they were hovering over Georgia State University, where today, earlier today, there were more protests held to uh, protest the Atlanta Police Training Facility, a.k.a. Cop City. So uh, we'll uh, we'll dive into that a little bit more Uh, A little bit more discussion about that. And uh, there's a lot of pushback about the use of the label domestic terrorism. Uh, There may be some federal prosecution brought in on that as well. Is that a term that's being used a little too loosely? Hmm. We'll, uh, We'll discuss later in the show. 
Aside from being politically savvy and a commentator of all things public policy and pop culture, I'm also a realtor with EXP Realty. And I don't know if you saw this recently, but Housing and Urban Development, HUD, decided, you know what? First-time homebuyers deserve a break on their mortgage insurance premium. It's a way that you, the individual buyer, can save on your mortgage insurance premium. It had been spiked up about 11, 12 years ago after the housing crash to 0.85% the cost of the mortgage. Well, they lowered it to 0.55%. And that can save you, I don't know, anywhere from 60 to 75, maybe $100 a month, depending on the price of the home you're going to purchase. Now, you may not think that that's a big deal, but if you are a renter right now, ask yourself, is your landlord going to cut your rent by 75 to 100 bucks? a month? We both know the answer. Stop patting your landlord's bottom line and start patting your own when you buy your first home. Give me a call 843-283-0078 or email me ron at rontheal.com. Georgia MLS 396-720. Follow The Ron Show on Twitter at ronshowatl. The Ron Show on America One Radio. All right, not necessarily anything political, but very much Atlanta. This has been like a hot topic of discussion most of the NFL offseason. The uh, Atlanta Falcons are apparently not going to be pursuing quarterback Lamar Jackson. That is a report from ESPN's Diana Russini that the Falcons will not be pursuing Baltimore Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson. Good. We, we, we got a quarterback. We just drafted him last year. His name is Desmond Ritter, and he played the last four games and like got progressively better, and we were actually winning games towards the end. And don't we have like other pressing needs? I mean, I'm not saying don't go get a backup quarterback or a veteran presence to work with Ritter, but get the defense right. My gosh, can we stop giving up scores that start with a two and a three and a four and higher? Um, And maybe we can start winning some games as a team instead of having to rally around a superstar quarterback all the time. My two cents. Some other things that uh, pass through legislation that we are keeping an eye on over uh, the last few days. The school voucher measure that has uh, taken up a lot of oxygen in the room, uh, Senate Bill 233, is going to the State House. Um, I don't know if it's even going to get through there or not, but uh, anyway, it's a measure that would give $6,000 a year in state funds to parents of uh, any child who opts for private schooling, the money could be used for tuition or a lot of other educational-related expenses as well, as long as those parents assume full responsibility for their kids' education. That $6,000 a year is roughly what the state pays for the average public school student. And uh, those who back the bill say that if those students move from public to a private school, it won't cost the state more money. The uh, sponsor of that bill, Greg Dolezal, who is a Republican from Forsyth County, coming Georgia to be specific. And if I had to guess, the thing that I think will probably, possibly uh, kill this bill is this right here. Uh, SB 233 says children who are eligible to enroll in pre-kindergarten, kindergarten, or first grade could participate, as could students from second grade and up who attended public school during the prior six weeks. That creates a subsidy for incoming kindergartners and first graders who never would have gone to public schools in the first place. There's an untold cost to that subsidy. Never mind the damaging effect it has in pulling state funds from public schools. It's it's hard to imagine a world where school choice proliferates uh, without it hurting public schools because it's the same public dollars. Like we're talking about the same pot of money. Mm-hmm. 
which is our tax dollars, revenue that state collects. If we're going to send that to private schools, that's got to come from somewhere. Yeah. Uh, and we know that public schools are the largest line item inside the state of Georgia's budget. And that is right and good um, that this is a primary. It's in the state constitution. It's a primary ob- obligation in the state of Georgia to provide uh, adequate public education for all students free of charge. And so whenever I hear folks say that, like, okay, we can do both. We can have a school choice system and a public education system. I find that hard to believe when these vouchers that the author wrote that need to be expanded were started when the state of Georgia was cutting billions from public education. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's very much treated in the eyes of lawmakers as um, instead of going to public schools, why don't we instead fund these private schools via these vouchers. So it's hard for me to not see the connection between those things. The reason schools might struggle to provide opportunities is because they don't have the resources because we're sending hundreds of millions of dollars to things like private school vouchers. That's Dr. Stephen Owens, who is the education director at the Georgia Budget and Policy Institute, who was on with us two Tuesdays ago. And I even played devil's advocate a little bit in that conversation. Talk to me from a parental lens, though. If you are a parent and you have a child, uh, you you live in the community you can afford to live in, and the schools in that community are failing, talk to me uh, as if I were a parent who, on the outside, thinks, yeah, I I would love better schools, and if I had a voucher or a scholarship that would enable me to send my child to a better performing school, why wouldn't I be for that? I think it's a little bit a myth of what better performing means. That uh, in the American mind, the idea of excluding certain children means that school must be great. That because if there's a line stand that's been formed outside a door, it must be exclusive, and that must mean they are doing excellent work. I I don't think that we need to to uh, give the benefit of the doubt to private schools that if you kick out kids for being gay or for being trans or because they can't meet the needs of them with special needs that somehow that makes that a good school um that that means that they are picking the children this is not school choice in the sense of parent empowerment it's school choice in the sense that the school gets to choose who they are educating so that does not sound to me like an excellent school that that sounds like a a high wall has been put around that education and does it not Um, fulfill it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy if you take the best of the best from the public schooling systems and leave the children that are, are more in need of one-on-one attention, are you not fulfilling what you say is already the case in the public school sector to begin with? Absolutely. I mean, so higher ed is a great example here. We celebrate schools that reject tons of kids and say they, they're excellent. Look at the Ivy Leagues, how excellent they are, because look at what these graduates are doing. They're rejecting 93, 95% of the people who apply. So yes, absolutely. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy where it looks like they're doing such great work when really they're failing to educate all students. And then what makes this even harder to swallow, now that we have like these good blue ribbon studies of how va- students who take these vouchers are doing, it's clear that they're taking this ridiculous hit to their test scores once they use a voucher. Mm. That students who use these vouchers in universal states like Louisiana, Indiana, Ohio, when we've had good high quality studies of how they're doing, the hit to their test scores is worse than what's happened with school closures due to the coronavirus. It's worse than uh, what happened to students' test scores after Hurricane Katrina. Mm. You'll hear a lot of lawmakers, I think rightfully, bemoan the hit to kids' test scores, reading and math uh, because of school closures, because they lost 
uh, their parents and grandparents. And they say, okay, how are we going to get kids scores back? We have not measured a worse education intervention than school vouchers. What what is the cause of that? Seem like, well, because these schools are not prepared to educate all children. (laughs) They are they are educating portions of it, and when we create these programs, hundreds of millions of dollars, state dollars, it incentivizes bad programs to open up and get that free money. We are not asking anything in return. We're just saying you can just have this money. We don't test to see how the kids are doing in Georgia. We don't hold those schools to account for strong accounting practices, for strong hiring practices. You don't have to have a bachelor's degree to teach in some of these schools. They're not prepared. And we're not actually studying to see if they're doing well there. So we have to look at studies outside the state. So, yeah, the schools are failing, but they continue to kind of succeed in in the imagination of the way we talk about private schools. Catch that conversation from February 21st at ronshowatl.com. Senator Sally Harrell joins us next to talk about anti-trans legislation in the General Assembly. Broadcasting five days a week to make common sense common again. This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. And it is my pleasure to welcome Senator Sally Harrell to the show. Senator, thanks for the time. I appreciate it. Gorgeous day out, and I know you're stuck in an office and been in in the General Assembly all day today, but trust me when I tell you, it's a nice day out. (laughs) Thank you, and thank you for having me. Uh, Yeah, I needed to know it's a nice day out because I don't have a clue yet because I'm I'm in capital long hours during this part of the session. Yeah, well, I mean, if there's any consolation, uh, the the legislative session is, you know, you're on the the back nine, as they say in golf lingo, so... uh, uh, I guess you're going to get to look forward to some of the spring and summer weather at some point in time. But uh, the last few days have been sort of tough, have they not? Yes, they've been they've been long, and we've dealt with some tough topics. So let's talk about the one that I think hits closest to home, uh, both for yourself and for me as well. Uh, I I am a, a, a gay man, um, and and I'm not going to lie to you. I grew up in the state of Georgia. Uh, I am a Southern boy. I am a suburban Southern boy, and even I, as a gay person had to evolve on my mindset when it comes to the rights uh, of trans people. And you are the mother of a trans child. And so we awaken to the year 2023, and it's almost as if the GOP has found their, their next target to bully, and it's, it's trans kids. That's right. This is the second piece of legislation that we've had. Last year was the uh, banning uh, transgender kids from school sports. Mm. And this year, it's we've had two bills, actually. One is uh, banning treatment, uh, hormones and surgery for minors. And also, we had kind of our own version of the Don't Gay Say Gay bill mm. that dealt with what could be talked about in school. Um, fortunately, that was tabled in committee, but as they say in the Georgia General Assembly, it's not over till it's over. Mm. So let's, can let's talk about the gender-affirming care and, and what, what this bill that, uh, that crossed over, uh, w- what its intent is, and then we'll talk about how it can still be stopped if possible. Sure. So, so what the bill does, this is um, Senate Bill 140, is it bans um, treatment of gender dysphoria, uh, uh, gender dysphoria um, with hormones, cross-sex hormones, hormone replacement theory, be, um, basically testosterone and estrogen mm-hmm. in minors. Um, and it also bans um, surgery. 
in minors. Uh, it does give an exception for puberty blockers, which is interesting. Um, there were two bills that dealt with this topic, uh, Senate Bill 140 and Senate Bill 141. And believe it or not, Senate Bill 140 is like the, the softer bill because Sen- Senate Bill 141 goes much further and bans puberty blockers. And um, there were some senators that were are kind of the more moderate faction of the Republican Party, and they they wrote and um, brought Senate Bill 140 through committee. So believe it or not, it, it could have been worse. Hmm. It's already bad enough, but it could have been worse. I'm just so curious that the, the, the party that wants to give parents more responsibility or, or, or a larger voice in educational matters is also the same party that wants to take uh, parents' rights away from them when it comes to how to deal with their trans kids. And I'm speaking to you as the mother of a trans child. How galling is it that you have outsiders wanting to weigh in on very personal matters within your family? It, it feels like it has similarities to me to the abortion ban. Right. These are medical decisions that families make. And and yes, they, they, they claim that they're about small government, but this is big government coming into your personal life and your, your medical decisions. Mm. Um, so let's speak to some of the talking points that come from the right when it comes to treatment of trans youth and gender-affirming care. Their concern, or at least the, the concern that they, they, they lay out, is the irreparable damage or changes that can happen to someone at an age that they may feel down the road they're going to change their minds about. Can you speak to any of that? Well, yeah, you hit it just right. Um, they're concerned that teenagers are making decisions that are permanent, that make permanent changes to the body um, before coming of age, and they feel the need to come in and, and, and stop them. That, that, is, that is the story. And, and there has been a, a rise in the number of people um, seeking gender treatment in the last maybe 10 years. It's, it, it has risen by three to 4,000 mm-hmm. percent. Um, so that is part of what is driving their concern. The, the premise that, that the right is coming at this with is that uh, adults later in life feel like they may have made a mistake as a teenager in seeking this gender-affirming care or, or any sort of surgical alterations and that it's irreparable. But, I mean, there's, there's, there's no data that shows that, that this is something that's bearing out. I mean, there are examples. Sure, of- there's examples of everything. Right, right, of people who, who do transition. And I, I think that that... Um, those stories are part of what's behind um, their wanting these bills. Sure, but I guess my point my point is it's it's as if that they're they're looking to create a solution to a problem that hardly exists. And 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 Senate Bill One Forty, if it becomes law, it's not as if there are many legal means for someone under the age of what is it fifteen to have any sort of life-altering or physically-altering surgical measures to begin with? Well, I think that there are youth who begin taking uh, cross-sex hormones or hormone right. replacement therapy. I don't think there are many surgeries that are happening. Right. Um, but I do think they are taking the, the hormones. Um, my issue with this, 
bill is that it they're only addressing what they won't do to help these kids. Right. My whole premise is that we need to flip that around and talk about what we can do mm-hmm. to help these kids. Okay. Um, and there are standards of care um, that have been written um, by an organization called WPATH. That stands for World uh, Professional Association of Transgender Healthcare. Yes. And they recently rewrote their guidelines for um, the treatment of adolescents for gender dysphoria. Mm -hmm. And if you read those guidelines carefully, um, you will see that there are plenty of mechanisms in place um, to make sure the decisions aren't made too rapidly without enough thought. Mm-hmm. That's what the Republicans are afraid of. But if you follow the standards of care, it's a very thoughtful process, a nuanced process that involves mental health assessment, treatment of concurrent medical or uh, mental health issues like anxiety and depression, mm-hmm. Um, it's a process that involves the family. I don't see the need for this ban right. if the practitioners follow the standards of care. The problem is, in Georgia, we don't have the infrastructure to really car- carry out these standards of care in a thorough way hmm. because we're lacking, um, we're lacking trained, the, the practitioners, the doctors, the mental health counselors, they're lacking training. Um, and we don't have enough mental health practitioners to meet the need. Mm. So that's where the that's where the work needs to happen. There's plenty of things we can do to help these kids. Yeah, I was just going to ask you. I mean, why not just adopt a measure that uh, where the state just adopts uh, WPATH's uh, guidelines? I actually looked at that idea um, of of. Uh, adopting uh, WPATH standards of care. Unfortunately, no other states have done that so far, and I'd have to kind of research the legalities of all that. Mm. Um, but that's certainly an interesting um, idea. Uh, also, you could possibly um, require that the practitioners who provide the treatment uh, be certified in this area. Mm. We're on with uh, Senator Sally Harrell from the uh, 40th Senate. 40th Senate district in the state of Georgia. Uh, She, of course, fresh off the floor uh, this week with crossover day uh, yesterday, also the mother of a trans child. And this is a pretty passionate issue for you. I also want to draw now from your experience as a mother, this isn't something that you and your family just went into haphazardly. I mean, these are, these are honest, heartfelt discussions that have to be had and weighing pros and cons of uh, mental health uh, therapy or, 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 or taking medications or, or, or going further with any sort of surgical procedures. Can you give us a little bit of, a, you know, of, that, of that part of your, your experience as well? Um, sure. So I have had two children. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first child is, is a, a boy. My second child it, it was a girl. And um, at age 15, my daughter came to me and said, I think I might be a boy. Mm. Uh, to be completely honest with you, um, nothing in my life had really prepared me for that moment. Sure. Uh, you know, I hadn't seen signs of it growing up or anything like that. It was, it was honestly, it was a real shock. Sure. And um, it, it was, I, I didn't feel like when we reached out for help with the um, 
with, with the doctors and with the counselors, I really didn't feel like they knew how to help us. Mm. Um, there was no counseling offered. Um, it was just, you know, Oh, this is a transgender child. Um, you need to take drugs. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, you know, don't we need to think about this for a little while? Uh, don't we need to talk about this? And I, it just was really never able to get that kind of help. And there were, um, you know, my child had a lot of anxiety. Um, they didn't offer to help with that. Um, so that's kind of what I want to, I want to change. I want to make sure that when these kids bring up these issues, that, that the kids and the families that, you know, they have a safe place to go to right. um, where they can discuss what this means, um, where kids can um, have a, a, a safe adult who works with them who can kind of talk about where are these feelings coming from? What is gender? Right. How does it impact me? A place where parents can can express some of their fears mm-hmm. um, and not be criticized for having fears. Um, that I don't think that really exists now, and that needs that needs to be there. Man, I I totally hear uh, the emotion behind your your plight, and whereas it would be nice if we had some sort of civil dialogue, some sort of civil discourse, where a mother such as you, who again is still pretty early in this process of dealing with a child at that age uh, in this scenario could talk with someone from the right who also may legitimately have some concerns, but instead of just plugging their fingers in their ear and, and screaming, you know, wokeism, you know, woke this, woke that, having a substantive dialogue so that there's some sort of measure in place to assist parents and these children with as you said, you know, not a rush to medicine, not a rush to surgical procedure, but a process in place so that these kids can be heard out first. It just doesn't right. seem like we have that sort of environment right now. Right. And honestly, that's that's why I spoke up last night on the floor of the Senate, because and that's why I spoke up last year as well. Last year, when I went to the floor of the Senate, I had only told about five people at the Capitol that I had a transgender child mm-hmm. and the whole debate of the, you know, transgender children in sports um, made me so angry and upset that I went to the front of the Senate and I told everyone that I had a transgender child. It was the first time that I had spoken publicly about it. Mm. Um, And and that's why I told more of my story last night, because it helps when people know someone who's been through this experience. And I know this this is something that your child is going through, but you as a mother are as well. So I'm going to ask you a question. Is, has this been an evolutionary process for you as well, a learning experience along the way? Oh, yes. <laughs> Very much so. Um, I mean, I'll be honest. I've been in therapy for eight months, yeah. dealing with my feelings about it. Right. Um, it's, it's, you know, the, the feelings go deeper than anything else I've ever experienced in my life. Right. Um, so it's, it has, I've grown a lot and I've grown in relationship with my, with my son too. Mm-hmm. Um, we had we spent a couple of years where we were kind of estranged from each other and now we are coming back together, which is really amazing. 
That's what it's all about. Uh, you know, as, as someone who hasn't had a mother for 12 years, but went through the coming out process with my mother and she as well had to go through an evolution, evolutionary process in her understanding of what I was going through. Um, I don't know. I'm just, I'm a little touched by, by hearing this. I, I hear, I hear the angst in your voice, but I also hear uh, a bit of a mama bear who's ready to stand up for her kids and kids just like hers. Uh, Senator Sally Harrell from the uh, 40th Senate district. Thank you so much for speaking up for kids, uh, uh in, in this way. And, uh, we'll continue to watch as you, uh, as you fight for these trans rights. I will continue to fight. Thank you so much. So separating the rhetoric, the political rancor from the very real scenario that Senator Harrell and her family and her child are going through, it gives you pause to appeal to the better senses of those on the right. Dial down the rhetoric and start talking about how to help kids instead of alienate them further, right? By the way, Jeff Graham from Georgia Equality joins us to discuss these anti-trans measures further tomorrow on The Morning Show. Want to be on the show? Have a cause or campaign you'd like to speak up for? Email Ron at ronshowatl.com or call 404-919-2725. The Ron Show on America One Radio. Uh, so before we get to uh, International Women's Day and some important uh, things to commemorate on this date in women's history, I have to point something out. If you just watch local media accounts for what is going on in the Atlanta Police Training Facility debate, the Cop City kerfuffle, uh, you would think that this is a completely one-sided discussion and you're just dealing with nefarious outsiders who are just, as Marjorie Taylor Greene has uh, labeled them, Antifa just uh, coming into town and but here's the thing. The domestic terrorism charges that are being bandied about, there are a lot of folks, a lot of folks really know what they're talking about, who argue that the domestic terrorism use in, uh, in charging perps who were arrested over the weekend uh, is a bit much. Uh, international human rights organizations like Human Rights Watch, the National Lawyers Guild, more than 65 international organizations have joined in demanding that all domestic terrorism charges be dropped. There is a group called Defending Rights in Dissent who wrote an open letter to uh, Georgia Attorney General Chris Carr, the DeKalb County District Attorney Sherry Boston, Fulton County DA Fonnie Willis, and the Prosecuting Attorney's Council Chair Tasha Mosley, spelling out why they believe that domestic terrorism charges are a bit of an overreach. And we talked a little bit about this yesterday. We played some uh, audio through some video that showed a a lot of the interesting use of police tactics in in going into what was essentially a music festival and a a civil and peaceful protest uh, in the Wilani Forest to disperse them. Now, I don't know if if they violated any sort of laws as far as like, uh, did they have permits to host the festival? I mean, the music actually kind of kept going on while folks were being told to just stay where you are, be calm, don't get violent, yada, yada, yada. And I will say this, uh, and I said this yesterday, burning of private property, uh, construction equipment, this, that, and the other, throwing fireworks and Molotov cocktails, if it actually happened, uh, at cops who are already in a jittery situation on the heels of the back-and-forth fire that uh, injured a Georgia State patrolman and killed a protester uh, earlier this year, it's just not smart. Molotov cocktails, fireworks, just not smart. Throwing rocks, 
I don't think that's really cool either. I mean, if we're talking like little gravel pellets, no, you know what? No, no, just don't. You're going to win this debate the Gandhi way, the MLK way, the way that we saw today. And, you know, I was talking earlier about the black helicopter just hovering over around the state capitol in Georgia State today because there were protests all throughout the Georgia State campus. There was actually even some yesterday where finally city council got to hear an earful but before then, I want you to listen to Muskogee Chief and Methodist Minister Meko Cheban Kernel, who uh, began with an invocation yesterday just outside the Georgia State Capitol grounds. If you'll bear with me for a moment, I'm going to bring you into my world so that you can acknowledge the spiritual landowners of these territories, so that you can acknowledge everything that my relative just shared about these homelands that our Muskogee people call. Let us take this moment to remember the ancient ones who lived in this very area. Let us be mindful of the love, respect, and humbleness they had for all people and for this land that gives us water and food. As we become more mindful of these first Native American people, may we live in the same manner. I share these words in our Muscogee language because it's appropriate, because our ancestors lived here for over 13,000 years. And if you're to do the math correctly, this country that we now call the United States is somewhere in the neighborhood of 240. If you'll bear with me for a moment, I'm going to... This is our homeland. My ancestors for generation upon generation for millennia are buried on the very ground that you walk on every day. And I think we have a say in how we should live as a society in this day and time. And so in this moment, our hope is to be able to come back, to rematriate, to take our lives back into the intimacy that we once had with everything that grows here in what you now call the state of Georgia, to come back to every plant, to every tree, to come to a level of intimacy and respect for all that they give. Because no matter who we are and where we come from, we have to have air, we have to have water, we have to have the elements of this earth to take care of us, regardless of what we think. We're dependent on this earth mother. And she has been faithful in taking care of us. It's us that has not been faithful in respecting her. So our hope, our hope is that this earth is not destroyed before we even have a chance to come back. That lives aren't destroyed before we have a chance to come back. So today, in whatever way I come here to join the choruses of voices that you hear all around you saying what is going on now is a violence against all of creation. What is going on now, bringing death and harm and hurt, is a violence against all of creation. And we stand in solidarity as Muscogee people. I stand in solidarity with the voices that we hear of those tenants, those persons who live in the land now. Because we're not in the business of kicking anybody out, by no means. We're all creation. We want a future that has hope. We want a future that is peaceful. We want a future where our children can go and live as they see fit, where they can understand what it means to grow a seed in this earth, to drink clean water. Oddly enough, zero local media coverage of that. It was on this day in 1938 that Janet Guthrie, a pioneering woman auto racer, the first woman to compete in the Indy 500, was born on this day, and actress and comedian Wanda Sykes, born on this day in 1964. 
little snapshot into Women's History on Women's History Month. That's going to do it for The Ron Show. Back tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, and on all the podcast platforms. My thanks to State Senator Sally Harrell for joining me earlier. You can listen to all of that now at ronshowatl.com. Have a great one.